Defence Dialogue, a podcast discussing contemporary challenges in the area of European security and defence. Brought to you by the Martin Centre with Nicholas Novaki. It's very good to be recording another podcast for the um, Defence Dialogue series because it's been quite a while like since the, since the last uh, episode. And um, a lot of things have happened and, and um, there are many things that the EU is doing that uh, I think are important to talk about, especially like this autumn, because the Conference on the Future of Europe is beginning. Uh, the EU is starting to prepare a new strategic compass for its foreign security and defense policy. And uh, there's a lot to discuss. But um, I thought a good topic to uh, re- kind of relaunch like this podcast series uh, and, and to discuss about like is the issue of uh, qualified majority voting in the EU foreign policy. Uh, which Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, like again, like proposed in her uh, recent State of the Union speech, and which was the proposal that gained the most applause from the assembled MEPs uh, in the audience. And um, although this isn't, doesn't really, strictly speaking, relate to defence issues, because defence issues are something that the EU treaty only allows to be decided by unanimity, so all EU member states accepting. It's, it still has to do with um, foreign policy and kind of making the EU a more effective and credible international actor. So that's why I thought this is an important topic. So I guess kind of um, important question, obviously, is like what is qualified majority voting in foreign policy and what was it exactly that like von der Leyen proposed in the State of the Union speech? Well. Qualified majority voting is already the norm when it comes to decision-making in the EU Council, which is the forum of uh, EU ministers, like where they meet in uh, various different configurations. Uh, So, for example, foreign ministers, uh, uh, employment ministers, agriculture ministers, and then uh, take decisions on the relevant portfolios and issues uh, that belong to their portfolios. And qualified majority voting, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a voting method like in the EU Council in which a proposal is passed if it's supported by 55% of the uh, EU, EU countries and 65% uh, of the EU's total population. So basically if the supporting member states together have 65% of the EU's total population, I mean, then that's, that's, uh, that, that helps pass the issue. And why this is such a big thing uh, when we talk about foreign policy, uh, the reason is that so far EU foreign policy has been decided mainly by unanimity, almost exclusively by unanimity. And what that means is that because like foreign policy historically, like ever since uh, EU foreign policy making began to develop like in the late 60s, early 70s, like through mechanisms like the European political cooperation, now the common foreign and security policy, it's always been um, under unanimity. And unanimity means basically that every single member state, every single EU minister, like in the council, has to agree on a proposal before it's, uh, uh, it's passed. And uh, in other words, every single country, even the smallest country, can have a veto over foreign, EU foreign policy making. And the, the reason why everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of people who follow these things in Brussels are talking about uh, this issue again uh, these days is that 
for several weeks, um, we had this situation in which the EU couldn't sanction uh, the, the Belarusian authorities over the country's kind of fraudulent presidential election in, in, the, in early August, uh, because uh, the country of Cyprus saw that at the same time when sanctioning Belarus, the EU should also simultaneously sanction uh, Turkey over its uh, uh, energy exploration activities in uh, Cyprus's uh, exclusive economic zone. So the two issues like, were, were linked. And then because Cyprus saw that the two issues were linked and because of various political reasons, uh, the EU wasn't ready to move with the Turkey sanctions at the same time, nothing basically happened. And then for that reason, uh, the EU's foreign policy chief, High Representative uh, Josep Borrell, for example, mentioned that uh, uh, the EU's credibility is at stake in world affairs if it uh, cannot uh, decide when things like the, the, the Belarus uh, situation happens or if there's something in the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, then the, the New York Times' chief diplomatic correspondent, Stephen Erlanger, also wrote that uh, like the EU's kind of broader aspirations to be a credible international actor is at stake uh, if it can't act when something happens on its borders. So for all of these reasons, um, the, the, Europe, the president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, in her State of the Union speech, proposed that the Union should move uh, into qualified majority voting at least on uh, human rights issues and sanctions. And um, it's important to remember that the Commission has also kind of made similar proposals like in the past. In uh, 2018, I think, uh, under the leadership of uh, the previous Commission president, uh, Jean-Claude Juncker, the Commission made a similar type of proposal in which QMV was suggested for um, um, uh, sanctions, uh, human rights issues, uh, like von der Leyen did, but then also for uh, the deployment and implementation of the EU's uh, civilian uh, crisis management operations. But now von der Leyen only suggested uh, um, human rights issues and, uh, and sanctions. Um, but there's quite a lot of different kind of opinions in, in the Council over this. At the moment, the member states are rather like divided over QMV, and uh, this is important because in the, the Treaty of, on the European Union says that QMV in EU foreign policy is, is possible, but it would require the unanimous uh, agreement of the European Council for that to happen. So the European Council, the forum of uh, EU heads of state and government, can decide that the EU Council can move to uh, QMV on certain issues if every one of the leaders basically agrees to that. And at the moment, it doesn't like seem possible because although there are countries that openly support and champion uh, qualified majority voting like Germany and Finland, for example, the vast majority of them are either against it or quite ambiguous, so they don't have a very clear position yet. And um, so far, like uh, nothing has been able to, the EU hasn't been able to move uh, forward to qualified majority voting. It, seems unlikely at the moment that uh, it, it would happen in the future. But I do personally think that there's no real alternative to a limited uh, qualified majority voting in EU foreign policy uh, for a couple of main reasons. Like firstly, I, I personally worry quite a bit that 
if the EU isn't able to like act and make decisions on foreign policy when, especially when something happens on its own immediate doorstep, uh, then over time, over time, the responsibility for the common European decisions will move from the European Union to other non-European Union forums, like for example, the, the E3 group, which uh, includes France, Germany, and the UK, and which has been very active on the Iran nuclear issue, but which recently also held its first ever uh, official meeting of defense ministers. And I think the E3 group is something uh, which will become more and more important in foreign policy making, especially if the UK and the EU won't come to a common agreement over foreign policy cooperation uh, after Brexit. Uh, so because the UK is, is an equal uh, partner in the E3 with uh, France and Germany, so it's a natural forum for it. Uh, uh, but, but why I worry about the, uh, the, the growing importance of groups like the E3 is that then foreign policy making responsibility will shift from the European Union into these groups. And, and then smaller countries um, who are not members of these forums will ba basically not have any say over the common decision making. Uh, and this, in my opinion, is a lot worse than any qualified majority voting or any, any risk that qualified majority voting might lead smaller countries, like decrease like their, their influence over common EU policy making. Uh, so what you're basically saying is that uh, in order not to lose their veto capacity, some of the member states, the smaller member states, might fight themselves even without a say. So for them it's a dichotomy or, or a decision between having a say and in a, in a, in a, in a, an option to influence but not to veto or not having a say at all. Exactly, because I mean, I, I think uh, like that's th that's the basic choice that like they're going to face. That I mean, if the option is that decisions are taken somewhere completely like different, like where they're not, where they don't have a seat or where they, where they don't have a voice, then QMV is the option uh, that that is uh, the lesser of two evils for them. If if you um, if you allow me to use that expression, and uh, which still uh, allows them to kind of protect and preserve like some of their like influence over the common decision making. And uh, for that reason, I, I think um, they should ideally accept a limited uh, move to, uh, towards QMV. And uh, there are kind of all other, other reasons as well. Like, I think kind of like if, if the EU can't act effectively with something happens on its own doorstep, then it raises kind of very legitimate uh, questions about the union's kind of broader, like strategic credibility as an international actor. Um, I think it's very difficult for countries like Russia, China, the United States, to take the union as a kind of a genuine uh, peer uh, actor on the world stage. I mean, if it can't even like, if it has to, if they have to wait for two weeks basically for it to <laughs> come into an internal agreement, like what to do about Belarus. And like, what to do about the situation in the Eastern Mediterranean? But I mean, it's 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 a tricky situation, and I I kind of fully understand and agree. Uh, well, understand. I mean, when when smaller countries say that, oh, but this is kind of really bad for our national sovereignty. Like, foreign policy is one of the last bastions of like what it means to be a state. And if we kind of lose that, I mean, then what are we? I mean, and these are kind of very important questions and and uh, topics to have. Um, but I, I think 
politically as well. I mean, it's it's difficult probably for many national leaders to to make the case at the national level that um, we support qualified majority voting and then potentially like be outvoted <laughs> over a, an important issue by like some bigger countries. But uh, I think personally, like this uh, risk of smaller countries being dictated and outvoted is probably like a little bit overblown. Like why? Because um, I mean, the vast majority of decisions in the council, like they're taken by consensus, so they don't even get into a voting stage. So the decisions are usually agreed at the committee stage, and 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 then when they go to the ministers, I mean, they, they there's no formal vote because everybody already like agrees. And then there's a couple of stopgap measures in the Treaty on European Union as well, saying that uh, if uh, a member state objects uh, a QMV vote for vital national reasons, I mean, then it can be delegated into the European Council to the leaders, where they again would decide by unanimity. So there are some kind of safety breaks as well. And uh, basically, I mean, if, if the von der Leyen proposal uh, that QMV would be used on um, uh, sanctions and human rights issues is too much for some member states. I mean, I think it would be even okay if they would initially start just with human rights issues, uh, simply to kind of test it out a little bit first uh, and to build trust and confidence among the member states and see like how it would go. And then uh, if, if, if smaller countries especially could see that I mean, they won't get outvoted. I mean, they won't get dictated to by the bigger ones. Then um, perhaps there would eventually be room for then kind of increasing the use of um, QMV. And um, I don't know. I mean, do you think, I mean, this kind of, does, does this make sense uh, to you? Like at the moment, Alvaro, do you kind of... Uh, yes, sir. I, I, I guess this uh, safety mechanism, as you mentioned, could be the deal breaker for some small member states that, always raise the the concern that even more now with the UK leaving the EU um, a qualified majority will be very easy to to achieve this 65% uh, of the population at the moment as uh, from the moment uh, when the big four countries uh, align if Spain Italy France and Germany uh, agree on something they would probably not need the support of many more member states uh, so if we go with this, uh, first of all, uh, let's say trial uh, qualified majority uh, uh, mechanism in which we uh, limit it to, to human resources, in which I think we all agree on, and then there's a, a few uh, security uh, um, uh, resources in which, in case some some national uh, security or key importance issue on, on, an, on a member state level is at risk, you can go back to the to the council i don't see how they can oppose i don't think this is threatening the national sovereignty i don't think this is threatening their their importance as as you mentioned and explained before they might find themselves in in a, in a worse situation in if the these, these groups such as e3 uh, uh start to to take in the lead in in this kind of decision so yeah i, th I think i think um, of course it's easy for me coming from a big country like spain but i think that uh People from Slovenia or Estonia can can uh, can agree with us in in these specific issues for now, and and of course we can always do a tryout, and if it doesn't work, uh, figure out something else. So yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty clear. Yeah, and 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 uh, I, I come from a 
I guess, I mean, geographically a big country, but, but in terms of population, so it's a very small country, Finland, which is only about like five million people. Uh, but but fin Finland is a bit of an anomaly in this discussion that like I, th I think the government and then the president as well like they've been quite active and vocal about the need to kind of uh, move towards QMV and the need to kind of increase the speed of EU decision making and I think it's because um, like Finland understands that the EU's kind of effectiveness and credibility as an international actor like depends on its ability to kind of reach uh, common decisions and that's why the country even though it's a small country and it recognizes that, I mean, if it would let go of the veto, I mean, then that would mean that, I mean, the, the, the decision-making culture would change. Uh, but then at least kind of the EU's speed and effectiveness uh, uh, would increase. But I think kind of these are, th this QMV discussion is, is part of a bigger kind of discussion about the future of EU foreign policy making that I think the member states need to eventually have because, I mean, it, it might well be that, I mean, nothing changes at all. It might be that the member states like don't want to take any decisions to move to QMV and then the kind of current basic status quo like just continues. But then the question is, I mean, if not um, kind of more effective EU decision making, then what? Uh, because even if they don't come to an ag uh, agreement, I think then uh, by default, I mean, we'll see kind of more forums like the E3 and a more kind of in, in, informal intergovernmental cooperation. So even a non-decision is a decision in a way like that has consequences, uh, which needs to be re recognized that um, like things won't stay the same um, because there is a need for Europe to act, uh, regardless what the member states do. And uh, yeah, I mean, th this, this kind of the problem of getting different countries and, and, and actors act in a coherent way is, is something that kind of has been a major problem like throughout centuries, like throughout millennia, like throughout history. And when I was kind of um, like reading like different, <laughs> different uh, bits and pieces like before this podcast, I remembered a kind of quote from the history of the Peloponnesian Wars by Thucydides which was written kind of about 2,500 years ago. And uh, I printed the, um, uh, the quote and just like wanted to read it here. It's, it's something that um, the Greek leader Pericles like said at one point in the book. And the, uh, the quote is, uh, in a single battle, the Peloponnesians and their allies could stand up to all the rest of Hellas, but they cannot fight a war against a power unlike themselves so long as they have no central deliberative authority to produce quick decisive action when they all have equal votes, uh, though they all come from different nationalities and every one of these is mainly concerned with its own interest. The usual result of which is that nothing gets uh, done at all, some being particularly anxious uh, to avenge themselves on an enemy and others no less anxious anxious to avoid coming to any harm themselves. And I think kind of like when you read this and when you listen to it, I mean, it's, it's, it was written like over 2,500 years ago, but it seems it kind of almost like describes exactly what the situation is like within the European Union uh, at the moment. And I think kind of on this note, like uh, unless you Alvaro, have any kind of further points or questions, I mean, we can kind of conclude uh, this episode. No, I think I think uh, we we came to a very interesting, uh, simple uh, conclusions, and um, well, 
with with or without the uh, the qualified majority system, let's hope that the European Union finds itself uh, uh, coming quicker and uh, and more effectively to to common responses. And maybe the the Brexit will help in in some of these matters, as the UK in the past opposed to some of the common uh, alignments. So well. Uh, let's hope for the best and, and maybe in a few months we can celebrate already some qualified majority system for some of the poli foreign policy uh, actions. Or, or, we have to, or we wait for another 2,400 years and then read about similar type of problems also in the future after we've been cryogenically frozen. So let's see. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Cheers. Well, that's another episode uh, done, although like, there was quite a long uh, 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 time difference, like between like this and the last one I recorded, uh, but I thought this this was a really it was really good to have this discussion. I'm and I'm just especially happy that my co colleague Alvaro was here as well to like ask some pointed questions and and uh, prevented me from turning the episode into a pure kind of dull monologue <laughs> to make it a little bit more interesting into all of you uh, who very kindly, very graciously uh, listened to it and. Um, I hope we're going to be recording um, a new episode, like sometime in the in the coming weeks um, already. I have a couple of couple of ideas uh, on my mind already. Um, strategic autonomy is an interesting topic that I could talk about, and then, uh, like I mentioned in the podcast, the EU is in the process of preparing this new strategic compass, which might be an interesting, sexy topic to uh, talk about as well. So, until next time. That was today's episode of Defence Dialogue. Subscribe to our podcasts for more.